Well, I'm the oldest of three in my family, and I'm lucky enough that my sister isn't that much younger than me. She's only 20 months, so we're pretty close. I was one grade ahead of her. She was one grade below. And our brother is six years younger than me. Well, our school was really, really small. So first and second grade was together, third and fourth, fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth. So every other year, I was in the same classroom with my sister. We were best friends. We shared everything. We shared friends. We did everything together. But don't let that fool you. We had some of the most horrendous fights ever. Like Me and my sister, we shared a room, and we were supposed to clean the room, and I didn't want to clean the room at that moment, so I was just laying on the bed refusing to help at that moment. So my sister got so angry at me, she took my dad's drywall hammer and swung it at my head, and she had every intention to stop before she hit my head, but she stopped just a little bit too late (laughs) and ended up hitting me on the head with the sharp end of the drywall hammer. But one day, I got angry at my sister, and she was walking down the steps, and there was like this kind of like cutout on the wall, and she said something, and I was across the room on the couch, and I took the remote, and I flung it as hard as I could. Now, I played softball all through school. I helped my dad hang drywall. I played third base because I could throw really hard. So when I flung that remote, it like spun through the air and hit her right in the forehead. (laughs) But that was nothing compared to what me and my sister did to our brother. (laughs) He was younger, so we could do pretty much whatever we wanted. (laughs) And one day, I mean, he wasn't completely innocent, but... One day, my parents were gone, and we were home by ourselves, and I can't even remember what he did, but we threw him out of the house and locked the door. Well, he ran around to the back. That door was locked. We didn't have to worry about it. But we went up on our second level, up the back of the house. We had like an upper deck, and it was huge. It went the whole length of the house, or yeah, the whole length of the house, but there was no steps to go up there from the outside. So we go upstairs, we take a bucket, and we go in the bathroom, and we get some water out of the toilet, and we took it and dumped it on his head. He then got the hose. (laughs) We had the biggest mess to clean up before my parents got home. (laughs) And we did it. We did it. They actually never knew about that till later on. But now, despite being, he's still six years younger than me, but now he's quite larger than me and quite stronger than me. So every chance he gets, even to this day, he will get behind me and my sister, and he will take his arms up around our, like, our armpits and pull our arms like this, and then make our arms dance and start saying, chicken wing, chicken wing. <laughs> but... I've learned, like I've taken a couple self-defense classes, and I've learned how to stop that from happening, but he still does it to my sister, so, and then it's quite funny. You're probably wondering where all this biting is going, (laughs) but if you read, or if you turn with me to James chapter 4, we're going to start by reading just verses 1 through 3. 
says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you come from your desire? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hmm. I wonder why James is starting off by asking, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, one can assume it was because there were fights and quarrels happening within the community of believers. Now, I want to draw something for you on the board, and I don't draw for such a huge audience very often, but as a teacher, I one time drew a peninsula for a group of 10-year-old boys, and it didn't go well. I know it might be a little hard to see, and you're going to use your imagination. (laughs) He's so sad, the crown's coming down over his eyes. Uh, Let me put this. So, I know that many of you probably remember this time in your life, this time when God was outside of your heart, the time when you didn't have him in your heart. And I'm pretty sure I can bet that it was pretty miserable, to say the least. Wouldn't you agree? I remember those days when I put God on that wall walker shelf and said, hey, if I need you, I'll come back and get you. And I remember where that road led And that road led to a complete and total dead end. Because it went absolutely nowhere. And I remember, too, uh, it went all the way to rock bottom. I'm sure many of you have experienced rock bottom. This is the rock. (laughs) But things, things change. Do you know what they say when you hit rock bottom, you can only look up? And in that moment, we find Christ. And we find him and we ask him into our heart and everything changes. Life is different. But does everything really change? Because look at verse 4. 
James says, you adulterous people, you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So yes, everything changes, but in this, he said, you adulterous people. He's talking to the community of believers. Um, he's talking about talking to you and me in a lot of cases. So he's pointing out to his, um, oh wait, verse five, sorry. <laughs> or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell with us, in us? Now James points out to his readers who are fighting amongst themselves that they are not friends of God. They reflect the values and the modes of relating to one another that characterize the evil world. True to his Jewish tradition, James reminds us, reminds them that there are only two ways. He calls one way the friendship with world, which will lead to destruction. And we, many of us know where that leads. It leads to that dead end. It leads to nowhere. It leads to rock bottom. The other way he especially encourages them to follow is friendship with God. So when I first started school, there was a boy who came to me and declared that he was a follower of Jesus so he immediately stole my heart because I was like, me too. I'm a follower of Jesus. And then I was like, I'm a pastor. And then before I knew it, the whole school knew I was a pastor. <laughs> but by, by the way, the last time I preached and I shared the story about my favorite student, I joked and said that they were probably going to Google me and find out who my favorite student was. But it was towards the end of the year, though, so I thought it was good. Well, like within like a couple weeks there... <laughs> This um, kid, he was about the size of me. He got four good swings into the head of a student of mine before I got across the uh, playground. So that student was in the office waiting for his mom, and they said, well, you can play on your Chromebook. So he got on his Chromebook. And then at the end of the day, his mom never came to get him, so they send him back upstairs for dismissal. And he comes up to me, and he's like, Mrs. Dupre. And I'm like, what? He's like, I Googled you. And I'm like, you did what? I Googled you. I was like, oh, I know who your favorite student is. It's Baishna. And then he tells everybody. <laughs> but then I was like, BJ. He's like, yeah. I was like, did you listen to the whole sermon? He's like, yeah, I listened to the whole sermon. He did not have headphones. So that whole sermon just played for the entire office at school while he's waiting for his mom. So it's, God's pretty amazing. So here I am telling another story. But, so the more I got to know Josiah, the more I came to realize that his family didn't go to church. And I asked him one day, I was like, well, how did you find Christ? And he was like, a TikTok video. I was like, okay. God uses everything and everyone. So all school year, I watched this young man literally go to every single student in the class and tell them about Christ. He had conversations constantly about faith. And what was really cool is I really got to be a pastor to him. And we would often talk when he would respond to some 
one way or another. We talk about, was that the right way to respond? You know, what would Jesus want us to do in that situation? And at the end of the school year, he actually wrote an, uh, a letter to me that said, thank you for the Bible, and thank you for telling me about Jesus and telling me how to do the right thing. So I really loved that kid. But about when there was about a month left of school, we had two new students that, because of COVID, our school, they did an online program, and um, some of the kids, you know, chose to stay online for the school year. So these kids, they were still part of the school, but they had been online. So with a month left to go, they came back to school. And Josiah was absent. But another kid in class who Josiah constantly talked to about Christ, he asked the kids about their faith and if they knew Jesus. And they were like, um, I'm an atheist. They're an atheist. So um, Josiah gets to school, and me and one of the kids are, or the, one of the kids is at my desk, and we're talking, and Josiah comes straight up to the kid, and he's like, whose team are you on? And the kid's like, what? Whose team are you on? Are you on Jesus' team, or are you on Satan's team? And I have never had that much courage in my life to ask somebody whose team they were on. <laughs> but James seems to speak the same truth. He says, look, there are two choices. You can choose the world or you can choose God. You can choose evil or you can choose God. There's no in-between. And if you refuse to make a choice, then you made your choice. And you didn't choose the winning team. So whose team are you on? Jesus or Satan? I know you may be thinking, we are still at this heart, but we're actually at this heart. This is called the conflicted heart. In the conflicted part, we have God pulling us one way, but we still have the world pulling us another way. And there's like this back and forth pull. You know, it's like, hmm, I want a bigger house, and I want another puppy, and I want to go on a luxurious vacation, and I want a sheepdoodle puppy, and I want a bunch of video games, but I want a puppy. You get the ideas. The world pulls and pulls at us in the wrong direction. But James is saying, friendship with the world makes you enemies of God. There's no middle ground. So look at ourselves here. Yes, we have Christ in our heart. We have God in our heart. We invited him in, but there's still something missing. I don't know if you can tell from where you're sitting, but he's not smiling. He's kind of, he's not frowning. He's just kind of like, oh, what do I do? There's this, this pool. So, we don't accidentally accept the values of the world. We choose the values of the world. It's not like one day we just accidentally found myself in the middle of a whole bunch of trouble. You chose 
to go that direction. But thankfully, in James, we don't get left there. So if we read on to verse 6, 6 through 10, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God is introduced here as a new subject. He gives greater grace. He wants desperately to have fellowship with his creation, so he took the initiative to change the human heart. Because the human spirit is so subject to envy, God gives us more and more grace. And the continuous present tense of the verb means that God's not done yet. It's not a one-time indulgence. He's not finished with his generous giving. You see, God isn't a, hey, let's uh, try this out on a trial basis and see if you're the right fit for our team kind of God. No, he's more of a, hey, let's sign a lifetime or, you know what, let's sign an eternity uh, time contract and you stay on my team forever. He's not interested in being your base coach. He wants to be your head coach. So I'm going to draw it at this a different way. I'm going to try to draw it bigger too. This is called the sanctified heart. In this heart, we submit ourselves to God and we take that crown that we had on our head and we take it and we get off the throne of our heart and we let God take the rightful place and we place the crown upon his head and we let him have complete control of our heart. And as you can tell, our little guys is pretty happy about that. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice that the first step is uh, to resisting the devil is submitting to God. You know, come near to God and he's going to come near to you. So I like my bedroom temperature in my house. I like it to be at Arctic level. Like right now, I'm like sweating horribly. But summertime, it never gets close. Winter times, it does. I've had stuff freeze in my room before. I have a Cincy warmer that won't work because it's too cold. But I have also have this little tiny toy poodle, like not an actual toy, but a tiny dog. And we got her when she was seven years old from a lady who had Parkinson's and could no longer take care of her. So I'm pretty sure since she was on that she held this dog a lot. And when we got her, I was working teaching ESL, the kids in China, online. 
So she would sit on my lap all night long when I was teaching, and next thing I knew, she was attached to my hip. Everywhere I go, this dog follows me, and I'm not exaggerating <laughs> at all. I left one day, or when we were decorating for uh, the graduate, Nevaeh's graduation party, and I left, and she couldn't find me, so she was like running all over, like this great big, like in the road and everything, looking for me, panicking. She, I don't know, she's just like obsessed with me. <laughs> anyway, she has to sleep with me, and she sleeps by my side. Well, when it's cold, <laughs> She's trying to keep herself from freezing to death. So she scooches right next to me. And if I shift in the bed, she doesn't get out of her little ball. She just scooches, still in her ball, right next to me, no matter where I go. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to scooch right next to God and stay there. And he, when we scooch right next to God, unlike me, he will scooch right back and stay with us. So verse 8 says, goes on to say to wash your hands and purify your heart. This is purify your heart. That's choosing Team Jesus. That's that total commitment and just never wanting to leave God's side. So I know if you're older, you may remember this. If you're not, you might probably don't. But way back in the 90s, there was a slogan for the Army that said, be all you can be. Well, the summer before my senior year of high school, I enlisted in the Army. So... When my senior year came, they passed out, you know, these little slips of paper you got to fill out. Hey, where are you going to be in 10 years? Well, it's like, oh, in 10 years, I will be all I can be. But, um, so it was more like seven years later, not 10, that I woke up one Sunday morning. See, Liddy was in Germany for three weeks for the Army Reserves, and the kids were all little, little. And we lived like 30 minutes from church. We lived in the mountains in Virginia. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I am not going to go to church today. I don't feel like fighting with the kids, getting them all in the car, driving all the way there, fighting with them at church because in, either one of them didn't want to go to children's church and then they wanted to climb all over the sanctuary. I just didn't feel like doing it. And so I just closed my eyes. But then I would swear, now I know, probably wasn't that way, but it felt like there was an audible voice that said, go to church. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you listen. So I got up and we went to church. And that day I went to the altar. Um, I really think that sermon was meant for me. And I really can't remember too much of the sermon, but I just know that I went to the altar and I prayed saying, I wanted to be all I could be for Christ. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you listen. When the Holy Spirit says, go, you run. And when the Holy Spirit says, preach, you do so like your life depends on it. Because somebody's might just depend on it. And that's holiness. 
and that's sanctification. So when we ask kids, we always ask kids, if they want to accept Christ, we often say, hey, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? Well, I like to say, hey, would you like to make Jesus the boss of your life? See, this is letting Jesus be the boss of your life. That's letting God sit on the throne of your heart. Not only inviting Jesus into your heart, but handing him the keys to have it all. And that's love. And the fact that he does come into our hearts and does take over our hearts, that's just more testimony to how much he loves us. You see, you have two choices. You are either all in and a friend of Christ, or you're not. So whose team are you going to pick? If we go on to verses 11, it says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges him or speaks against the law and judges it, when the When you judge the law, you are not keeping it. You are sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So I just wanted to go like one step further with this. Okay, so I've got to erase this. So we all are on this journey together, most of us, hopefully. And all this journey is hopefully leading us to Christ. It's leading us to holiness, and that's where we want to end up. But the thing is, each of our journeys is different. It doesn't look the same. So, and let me explain why it's different. Okay. Now, let's say up here is as holy as you can be. Let's say this is... Mother Teresa level. And let's say that Mother Teresa level is where you're making every single choice, like exactly what God is, what's best for you, what God has chosen to be best. And let's say down here is Satan. Okay, so let's say this here is Bob, or I know there's a Bob here, so let's say there, let's say this is Billy Bob. Now, Billy Bob had really great parents. He was really blessed. He was born into a middle-class family. He had educated parents. He had a fluent family. He learned very early on right from wrong. He may not have learned it in the context of Christ, but he learned right from wrong. So one day, Billy Bob accepts Jesus, and God gives him a set of choices. So he has all these different choices. The best choice is going to take him closer to Mother Teresa, and then there's some not so nice choices, but not so best. 
and then there's this one all the way down here that's leading him to Satan. But the thing is, Billy Bob knows right from wrong. It's very easy for Billy Bob to choose the best choice. And the next day, he's going to give us more choices. Maybe he doesn't choose the best. Maybe he chooses the second best. And so on. Now, let me introduce you to Greg. Greg is a pimp. He's a drug dealer. Greg's family, they were drug dealers. He didn't grow up learning right from wrong. He grew up in a bad neighborhood. He grew up with no positive role models. He doesn't know. He just doesn't instinctively know right from wrong. But you know what? One day, Greg meets somebody, and they tell him about Jesus, and he accepts Jesus. He has Jesus in his heart. Greg is given this, like Bob, a set of choices to make. Let's say the best choice Greg can make this night is not send one of his girls out. So he makes the best choice. Notice how he's so much further from Bob. Bob just had a better start. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't really judge the path of our neighbors. We have to try and see the world through their eyes. We're all on this path to holiness, but it's just going to look different. You know, James says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know who we are? We're the person that helps Greg along. We say, hey, good job on not sending the girls out. Hey, good job on making those little steps closer to Christ. And we walk alongside him. So we're going to prepare for communion. And in the Church of the Nazarene, we have an open communion, meaning that um, in order to accept communion, we only ask that you have asked Jesus into your heart. But before we have communion, we're actually going to play a song to listen to, and I would just like for you to spend some time in quiet reflection and prayer. And the song that we're going to play is called Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. It's based off of the prayer of St. Francis. Whenever I read the prayer of St. Francis, I see holiness and I see Christ so plainly. It's the whole prayer is about taking our eyes off of me and turning our eyes to Christ. And when we turn our eyes to Christ, we're turning our eyes to others. Because that's our mission. That's the mission God gave us is to help others. So the altar is open if you'd like to come and play. Pray while the song plays.